Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Drives by eins. Los. Hello. So after a quiet international break, FPL returned with a bang this weekend with a spectacular, or to the neutral at least, free-free draw between Spurs and West Ham, perhaps the pick of the bunch in terms of the weekend's highlights. Just to say quickly as well, before we get into it, this is a VAR penalty and Liverpool-related grievance-free zone, which we hope will be a welcome respite from the melodrama you've seen absolutely everywhere. If you want to hear our views and penalties, for example, listen to the first half hour or so of our first pod of the season. Our views have not changed. Anyway, back onto this week's pod. Uh, we return mostly in jovial spirits, particularly with regards to my two co-hosts who've wildcarded successfully this week. Uh, but I've also just had a very jammy uh, Jimenez goal as well as not being sent off. So I'm also in decent mood. Let's start with Nick. That beard is looking absolutely out of control. You're right, mate. What's going on? So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not bad. Thank you. Yeah, it was certainly a busy weekend of football, full of controversy, full of talking points. But as, as most of our listeners know, it's not what we're here for. We're here to talk about FPL. And that's what we're going to do. So you know who we are. We are Who Got The Assist. Make sure to subscribe to the pod. If you haven't already, give us a like or review or follow us on social media channels. Every positive comment is truly appreciated and make the efforts we go to worthwhile. And if you want to join the mini league, our code is CPSULF. Anthony, how are you? Not too bad. I've had a, a good game week, thankfully. Uh, it's been a busy week here, IRL. Uh, Ireland has just gone into full-blown lockdown in the last 30 minutes as well. So <laughs> there's plenty of drama going on in FPL and outside FPL. But uh, look, everything is good. And let's not talk about the three dreaded letters VAR this week as well. Um, moving on to the actual pod itself. At the start of this international break, we have the international break just passed. We looked at the data for the first four game weeks and we focused on the big performers and the overperformers. And that meant that we naturally had plenty of chat about premium players, but far less about the supporting cast. So those mid-price players and the cheapies that supplement your premiums and carry your team along, they're going to be the focus of today's pod. As well, we're going to have the mainstays of the pod as per usual. The, a real gem of a correspondence section this week. We have the rapid fire Q&A from listeners' queues. But before all that, we're going to start with the game reviews and market forces. Yeah, we are indeed. Let's do game reviews first. I'm comfortably at the bottom, but not a bad bottom. That sounds really strange, um, but let's continue. I'm going I'm to steamroll onwards. Um, I ended up with a 68 this week, so one off a very immature score, but a 68 nonetheless I'm pretty happy with. Uh, going into the Spurs game, um, I was on 14 from 7. 
it was pretty bad. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I was I was a bit annoyed on Saturday. Um, I had uh, all of my defence got one point. <laughs> McCarthy, Alexander Arnold, Mitchell, and James. Uh, James came on for I think five minutes at the end. So cheers, Frank. Um, but yeah, obviously that Spurs game really turned things around. So I ended up doing uh, Harry Kane and uh, Son Heung-min in for Martial and Kevin De Bruyne. Captain Kane and the rest is. Pretty good. Uh, so yeah, Kane, Son, the key performers for me really. Uh, Salah uh, with his goal. Uh, Hammers with an assist. Uh, but he did get yellow card there, so only four. And uh, Jimenez tonight has got me eight. So that's taken up 68, 1.5 million. So 400, 400k shaved off the score. Um, Richarlison did get himself sent off. Um, and I have already made my moves, which we'll discuss in a little bit. But yeah, considering I didn't wildcard, considering I took two free transfers and I appear to have got them right, um, I'm pretty happy this week. Onwards we Go. Who is second? I know you both 80 plus, didn't you? So what, what did you end up with, Nick? 82 points. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're so, blowing me. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, you, you win this week. Well done. But, yeah, no, 82 <laughs> points. Um, I'm really happy with that. Beyond my wildest dreams, I guess, for the wild card, you know, basically Harry Kane and, and Son, the, the massive contributors. Both of those guys came in, did the business. I captained Son as well. So, yeah, like Tom, sort of 42 points between those two. Um, also got Calvert Lewin goal, uh, Salah scored as well. Uh, Robertson, who came in for Trent, got me an assist, six points in total for him. And also in goal, I replaced um, McCarthy with Martinez, which was an eight points net return. So overall, worked out pretty well. A few blanks in the team as well, worth mentioning the Brighton boys. Mopay and Lamptey came in for me, but I'll talk about them a little bit later. And also, Kurt Happy Zuma uh, wasn't so happy with one point return this game week but um, hopefully things can change a little bit later there so yeah that, that leaves me 84 points also on a wild card which brings me up to just outside the top mill in the world which is I'm happy enough with I'm I guess the the best thing about this is that I'm quite happy with my wild card team after a week which often isn't necessarily unheard of <laughs> yeah amazing like, I don't want to tell, sell anybody straight away so Kane captaincy 32 there Calvert-Lewin and Rianne Brewster played him whatever I have a good bench as well but put him in for this week obviously came off the bench one point whatever disappointing I went for Salah and Mane so Six and seven from both of those, but could have been so much more. Suchek is there with one. He'll score eventually. It's fine. He's just he's just there in the box, continually hitting things badly. Uh, Raheem Sterling, 11 points as well. Ben Chilwell got an assist, but three points because he got a yellow card and Chelsea can't defend. Uh, Tariq Lamptey, two points. Semedo, clean sheet. And Martinez as well in goals, nine points. So just, you know, contributions across the board, a good captaincy pick and just generally content. Cool. Well, more greens than a uh, cannabis factory there. Let's move on then to the market forces. And it actually is quite predictable, isn't it, this week? Um, I'm looking at this, looking at the numbers in front of me, and I'm thinking, well, I could have told you these without looking at the data itself. Nick, it is all about the, the usual suspects, isn't it, again? Yeah, basically. It's for the fifth week um, running that Son has topped one of the sides of the uh, the market forces. And luckily for us, it's the transferred in side again. So last week, he had an unbelievable 1.9 million transfers in, which is just insane volumes. I don't think I've ever seen it that high before. So that was pretty damn incredible. But it seems like there's still people out there that don't own him because um, the game week's just finished and already 330,000 managers have transferred him after that performance gets West Ham so more and more people bringing in Son Heung-min looks like his ownership's creeping above 50% now as well so really really popular pick and yeah 
no surprise, obviously, seven goals and two assists in five games. But also being transferred is his teammate Harry Kane, who's got five goals and seven assists in five games. Just incredible returns. He's only just behind Son with 310,000 transfers in. Um, so Son and Kane, top of the market forces this week. But um, otherwise, yeah, Calvert-Lewin still attracting a lot of attention. He's third with 190,000 transfers in, seven goals now. Um, he's returned every single game week. So having, having a great season so far. And also um, Grealish and uh, James Rodriguez, the other two players making up the top five. Yeah, Calvert-Lewin has now risen in price once for every goal he's scored. So he's now 7.7, which is kind of ludicrous. Nice to see as well, Timo Werner is one is the third most transferred in forward this week. I don't think we've ever seen him in, in the most transferred in column no. up until now. So <laughs> nice to see that. Um, amongst uh, defenders and keepers, it's Martinez, Chilwell, Dina and Robertson pretty much will tie up most of the interesting transfers in there. Yeah, it also looks like Tyrone Mings being brought in as well. But um, in terms of the transfers out, it's the injured guys. No surprises there. Van Dyke, 450,000 transfers out for him. Looks like he's unfortunately going to be out for a long, long time. Um, and De Bruyne, 400,000 transfers out as well. He's also got the red flag at the moment. So might be a little while until he returns as well. We don't know at this stage. Uh, Vardy as well, yellow flagged. Um, bit of a surprise that he didn't play this game week, but lots of people getting rid. 180,000 transfers in, probably for the likes of Kane and, and Calvert Lewin there. Yeah, Richardson as well, of course, suspended. He's a pretty tra- popular transfer out. I guess the most popular transfer out amongst players who aren't uh, injured or suspended is Pierre Mkabamiang, just over 100k transfers out as well. Uh, Trent Alexander Arnold, you could say the same for him, actually. They're both. Uh, popular sales and to be honest it's understandable at this stage if you held them this long you'd be pretty frustrated with both of them and I guess with Alexander-Arnold in the context of the Van Dyke injury and Alisson continuing to be out you'd be kind of concerned if he is value for money Oh yeah absolutely worried a Trent owner here but I mean I'm going to leave him in for Sheffield United and West Ham United both at home and see how it goes from there Cool. Right. Let's move on to the main topic of this week, which is the supporting cast. Uh, we're going to be looking through, uh, as Amphi mentioned earlier, the players who aren't kind of you know the A-listers, but the B-listers, the guys who make everything else happen, and identify a few players we think are worth our time. It's worth saying at the beginning, the goalkeeper is pretty obvious. I think that that's Emmy Martinez. So we're not going to talk about that, really. Uh, instead, we're going to talk about the defenders, the midfielders and the forwards. Um, and I guess we're going to nominate one key man per position, perhaps. I may not agree on that. For the literal minded by the supporting cast, we don't mean your Salas, your KDBs, your Canes. We mean the guys who are the extras. And I guess another way of looking at it is that these guys are the backing vocalists, you know, the Williamses and the Rolands to the Beyonce. So, as an opener though, FPL Sponge asks, is it form or fixture which guides us with regards to this, these kind of supporting cast members? So, how do we identify these guys? To be honest, I look for a combination of both. You know, when, when I'm deciding who to bring in, I, I'm always looking at the next five fixtures, especially with the defenders. I think we talked about how you have to look for that clean sheet potential and, and it's more of a, a team element for the defenders compared to the midfielders and the forwards where perhaps form does play in a little bit more but I think in terms of my picks it's always a combination you have to if I'm going to do a transfer in if I'm going to bring in a player there has to be a reason for that and that has to be both form and fixtures before I bring him in otherwise it's not worth the move yeah like it has to be similar you couldn't possibly look at just form or just fixtures and you know ignore the other one so for me it is both 
that said, I think when you're looking at the supporting cast in particular, I think I'm, I would be a bit more long term in terms of my looking at the fixtures than I would be if I was looking at the elite players. So for the likes of a, a Salah or a Mane or a Kane, I could see myself bringing them in for just two game weeks where I'm like, OK, I want to get make sure that I have Kane to captain him. For example, this week I would have done that if I wasn't on a wild card purely because it looked like a good fixture to have him in my side. Whereas a supporting cast member, even a, a Jack Grealish type, to be perfectly honest with you, just those lower price players who you wouldn't expect to be as dependable. I would be just looking at, you know, form, longer term fixtures and kind of just expecting that they'll drip feed in the long run as opposed to expecting week in, week out from them. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think unless a supporting cast player is has proven or is shown to be an unstoppable force, like I guess at the start of the season, Calvert-Lewin would have been in this sort of section as potentially being a supporting cast member. But because of his form, regardless of the fixtures that he's faced, I mean, they've been okay. Um, he'd probably be one a good example of a player that you bring in regardless of, of what's going on in terms of the fixtures going forward. But honestly, on this, it's mostly fixture-led for me, actually. Uh, I think we spoke about this on the pod with Late Riser. Um, but if they've got good fixtures, that'll be the main thing that'll kind of give me a heads up about a player being worth looking at. And I guess kind of to speak to Nick's point as well, then you kind of integrate them, don't you? Because you buy them in for the fixtures and you're punting that those fixtures will beget form and then there'll be a hold from there. And the likes of Matt D last year at 4.4, he had the fixtures and demonstrated the form uh, to keep hold of him. Uh, but that's not always the case. So a good example was Joe Allen back in the day when he was at Stoke when he was another 10 for a while. He was a, a great pickup for a few weeks. I think he was a 4.7, 4.8, went all the way up to 5.3 and didn't do too much, posted a lot of good attacking stats, had one double-digit week and I sold him off for a 0.3 million profit. Um, so yeah, these guys are always kind of useful in all sorts of ways, either plugging a gap long-term or being the sort of guy that you can pick up, ride on decent fixtures, and then sell on. Cool. All right. Let's start off with defenders. So I think for the supporting cast, we're looking really at defenders under 5 million, so 4.9 million or below. A friend of the pod, James Carroll, J.Carroll on Twitter asks, is there a single defender you can trust right now, let alone five? If so, who are they as a kind of a foreground to this question? Because it's an absolute mess, isn't it, at the moment defensively? And I guess that has pushed the spotlight a little bit more onto these sort of cheaper players because if there aren't that many clean sheets, we might as well cut our investment altogether, right? Yeah, so I've kind of looked into that defensive side of things and just, I guess, why James might have trust issues when it comes to defences. Like, the fact of the matter is, okay, we have five teams right now who've conceded 10-plus goals. West Brom, Liverpool, Fulham, Man United and Brighton. Only one team has kept three clean sheets. That's Aston Villa. Only then three teams have kept two clean sheets, Southampton, Wolves and West Ham. Six teams have kept no clean sheets at all, included in that bracket, are United and Spurs. So that's like pretty ridiculous in and of itself. You would have expected more clean sheets to come through. In fact, we've only had the first nil-nil of the whole entire season this evening. That was West Brom versus Burnley. Now, as well, if you look at the underlying stats, we've just looked at goals there with goals against and clean sheets. If you look at big chances conceded, for example, Villa are exceptional, but after that, nobody really stands out. If you look at XGC from open play, there's a slightly better story there in that Brighton, Villa and Burnley are a cut above the rest. Although you could say as well that Burnley and Villa have played a game less. What's important, and there are the teams that you mentioned in terms of um, the SUC, uh, Villa, Brighton, this sort of ilk. Um, and I guess uh, I mentioned earlier on that Martinez is probably the goalkeeper du jour. Um, so I guess to nominate my initial guy, I think it's King Concer for me. Um, as you mentioned, Villa, very low SUC, the third lowest SUC. And I think that's for two reasons. One, Martinez, and two, a settled defence. Um, and this guy, Concer, has been a key part of that defence. He's come in and formed a solid partnership with, with Mings. So since coming in 
they've played eight games. They've won six, drawn two, and then you conceded four goals. Um, and there's a few kind of key positives, I think, for Comsa. So he's second for BPS generation amongst defenders. Only Cresswell at 4.9 million um, has more. Um, and Comsa as well is the main set-piece target for Villa, I think. Uh, also true of Webster at Brighton, but Comsa's the guy that that's aimed in at. Um, he's quite a big lad. Um, he covers Martinez if you don't own him. Um, so that's another reason why I may be looking at him. And he's a 90-minute man. That's just so important, I think, with these players, whether you bench them, whether you're playing them, you've got to have that sort of security that they're going to play. Their ex-mins uh, are 90. And I think that he's definitely uh, the kind of player I, I am looking at um, if I don't go ahead and buy Martinez. But I guess a moot point for you too. I mean, Nick, is it? Um, I, I guess it wouldn't really be a concert for you. I guess it would be someone like you know, Lamptey or something like that. Is it someone who's already in your team? That... Well, I actually did highlight Matt Target perhaps as, as the best sort of defender out there. A bit of a random pick, I guess, because he's not... Um got any attacking returns so far but he is a key part of that Villa defence as well he's also the cheapest part currently at 4.5 million so if you're looking for a cheap defender to bring in at his price I think he would be a really really good pick um, and uh, yeah so his stats last year were pretty impressive as well in terms of chances created so he had six, uh, 26 chances created in 28 appearances in total which is you know more than the likes of Wan-Bissaka managed in, in 35 appearances so he, he gets forward he was, I think he um, linked up really well with Jack Grealish for a few assists as well over the course of the season so he's a player that's caught my eye a little bit it's worth highlighting as well I think a lot of um, there's been a lot of press about defences and stuff and how like teams don't seem to have defensive coaches coaches or not work enough on defences and Villa were atrocious defensively last year but it's probably worth highlighting and giving praise to someone who probably doesn't want praise but um, John Terry I think has probably done a lot of work at Aston Villa hasn't he to, to get that defence um, working and well drilled I think so uh, quick shout out to John Terry there for the work he's obviously done over the summer with Aston Villa's defence but um, Brighton yeah you mentioned Brighton yeah, I'm obviously a big fan of Lamptey. He was in my wild card. I wanted to give him a shout out as well. So Brighton, defensively, they have been pretty good as well. Um, they've only conceded 15 shots on target so far this season, which is uh, the second best in the league at West Ham, actually the first with 13 shots on target. So Cresswell's perhaps another person that deserves a mention. They're quite unlucky to to lose against Palace, um, who registered 0.0 for non-pen XG um, in that last game. So they're quite unlucky to lose clean sheets. And But they have conceded 11 goals out of those 15. So Matt Ryan really needs to sort his game out. The fact that 15 shots on target, 11 goals conceded. So I found that a little bit worrying in terms of um, not having a solid goalkeeper like Martinez is, is uh, seeming to be for Villa. But why I like Nanty is he's their most attacking defender. He's had 10, 10 penalty box uh, touches so far, which is third amongst all defenders. He's registered three goal attempts all inside the box, um, which is only two less than my man Kurt Zuma. He's also registered six chances created and three assists to his name, which is joint most for all defenders. So he's caught my eye. And Brighton have some great fixtures as well coming up, starting with West Brom at home. For sure, you definitely say that Lamptey, in terms of the eye test, really does stand out. I think just you discussed Cresswell there briefly. Um, he does have City and Liverpool up next, but I think longer term, Cresswell is someone that we should be looking at. I wouldn't necessarily be recommending him, but at the same time, it is worth talking about. In terms of creation, no defender is like him so far this season. He's created 
uh, 12 shots for his teammates. That's uh, more than anyone else. Dina, 10, TAA, 9, Robbo, 8. So he's quite a bit ahead of those. And also then on a per-start basis, he rivals some of the other good creators like Rhys James, Chilwell, Reguillon. If you were looking at just fixtures overall, Marchal, if he does nail a starting place in that Wolves defence, uh, yeah, they have some particularly good fixtures coming up. Newcastle, Palace, Leicester, Southampton and Arsenal. Or Max Kilman is, of course, even cheaper again if he can hold his place in that Wolves side. Uh, other teams with good fixtures don't, partic- don't really give us many good options. The likes of Palace, who just, whatever, look, <laughs> Palace. Uh, then there's Everton. They don't have any defenders under 5.0. Keane is 5.1. Godfrey is 5 if he takes Coleman's place if Coleman is out for a while. And there is Chelsea there as well, but they have no sub 5.0 option. Reese James is 5. Zuma is 5. Uh, Rudiger's out in the cold at 4.7. I do fancy Cresswell, actually. I did have a look at him, too. And uh, obviously, Manchester and Liverpool Nets, probably not games you would be looking at. But those may rise tonight out of this price bracket that we're looking at. But he does have the third best XA of any defender. And he's the set-piece man for West Ham. Um, but he's got a great delivery of that left peg. He's taking 10 corners for them, seven indirect free kicks, and one direct free kick. Always good to have set-pieces for any defender. And he also has the highest bonus point action tally of any defender of any price, which is pretty good. Um, they've got Fulham, Sheffield United, and Villa after City Liverpool. So maybe a time to be bringing him in uh, around then. Uh, there's also Kufal, Kushal. Uh, there, who got the assist this week? Who's another one to keep an eye on? I mean, you've pretty much covered the guys. The other one, the other ones I do want to pick up are the ailing uh, Dallas uh, binary, which is still ongoing. Um, tonight, Big Stew was, I think, I think overshadowed by the top knotted Cafu in ailing, um, who was very advanced and who was playing as a right mid with kind of a free roll. Actually, he was in the box quite a few times whenever leads were on the attack. And I think I, I own him still, and I think he's got a haul in him. So I'm I'm happy to hold, but I mean, Big Stew still looking pretty decent. The best XG amongst defenders in this price bracket, one point two one, but hasn't scored yet. So a little bit of kind of making up to do with the delta. Uh, I mean, Anthony, who's your who's your main nomination then for 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 this guy? I think it's for me, it's still concert. Uh, for Nick, it's Lamptey. Uh, but who's your who's the the one guy you kind of uh, single out as being being the one for you in this sort of category? Yeah, I've I've really thrown an awful lot of names at people and avoided nominating one. I think it actually would be concept for me purely to cover that Aston Villa defence, though I understand some people wouldn't want to double up. And so I'd actually be agreeing with Nick then on Lamptey. Very exciting, uh, but yeah, no, it seems like there's quite a few, um, quite a few names out there. I guess it's quite an embryonic stage of the season, and of course, as well, we've been looking at a lot of uh, scarcity and defensive solidity. So I guess it's one of those things that will only improve over time. But yeah, hopefully, a few options there at the back. Let's move forward to midfield, and this is midfielders who are under seven point five million, uh, just to kind of add to that supporting cast flavour. And um, the question we got this week from Justin FPL JB, he said he's got six point nine million to replace a midfielder with. Who should I go for? and Simon Northover as well emailed in and said that having an Aston Villa midfielder looks like a good idea just to help the budget but which one to go for he documents that Grealish is the obvious go-to but you know Barkley, McGinn these are all there as well and it's worth mentioning as well the early season bandwagons that have fallen away so Podence tonight got taken off for a solid three-pointer um, after getting kicked in the nose and uh, Sam Maximan as well um, the one we're all on at 5.5 who do you guys think in this in this category? So what I might do is jump on the, the Villa problem first that Simon dealt with in his email. And I think it's, it's just worth kind of discussing it considering there are so many midfielders that people could be considering under 7.5 mil there between McGinn, Barkley, Grealish. You could even stretch to Trezeguet if you're being kind. So the, the thing with Villa is that, okay, we have 
a lack of data with all the current players there in the side together. So Barkley is obviously new, Watkins is new, and he's clearly they're both clearly having big effects on the side, how they play, how they attack, how they do. Uh, McGinn is also returning to that starting eleven, so you can't even really look at a huge uh, breadth of last season's data, especially given how much improved Villa were in Project Restart. We can't really look at his data there. And then we don't have the old situation where you throttle... Jack Grealish, you throttle Villa. That's just no longer the case anymore. They have plenty of other ways to get forward, including using their wing backs with uh, Matty Cash in there and Target. We also have a bit of an issue with our data that it is madly skewed by obviously thrashing Liverpool. Like WTF happened, we don't know. But <laughs> contextualising the data is kind of difficult with that in mind. And then there is obviously the questions of, look, can they keep this up? They are the biggest XG overperformers in the league right now, plus six. Um, they're obviously playing well, and I don't want to take that away from them, from them, but they're doing it as well with very low possession. What happens when teams sit off and deny them counterattacks? Have teams learned from the Leicester season? Are they going to continue to enable this Villa side? So there are all these questions. Now, looking at the actual midfielders that are there, Barkley, he's not afraid to have a pop. He will create chances for himself, and he's that type of player. He, you know, he's very direct in that sense. He's decent value at 5.9, but McGinn at 5.5, kind of the creator-in-chief in that Villa side, actually, this so far this season, with nine chances created. He's returned in three out of their four games that they've played, and he will return the odd goal. He's got one there so far. He's a good few assists as well. He's really good value, I think, at 5.5. But of course, Grealish, 7.2, if you can afford him, I would have him. And look, he's going to get, he does get on the ball in the area. Almost every single game he's done that. He gets shots off in good positions and bad positions. And they continue to try to feed him as well. He is a talisman. He he could get double figures in both goals and assists. And at 7.2 now, that's pretty good value for that. Full disclosure, I bought Grealish already. Uh, So I bought him uh, just before he rose. Um, And yeah, I, I quite like with him that he's got the shooting and also the creativity under his belt and um, that's kind of a nice sort of I'd like to see both numbers perform well in the metrics for a player although it mostly will be about creativity with him his XA is 2.01 at the moment but of course that's so heavily influenced by Liverpool game and um, that is higher than any midfielder under 7.5 and fourth overall as well so definitely that creativity he's third for chances created and third for big chances created amongst mids um, and he's also first in this sort of cheapy bracket eight shots in the box as well and been involved with in 50% of Villa's goals already this term I think it was like 19, 20% of his of the kind of the greater talisman score last year. So he is the talisman, you're right. I think he is their best player. It's just whether he's going to get that end products. I thought I saw enough in that game to think, yeah, he definitely can. He had a, he played incredibly well. I'm just hoping that it doesn't end up being kind of a situation where the likes of Barkley are the people who are actually finishing it off and he's just kind of assistant the assistant sort of thing. Um, but for the, for the time being, I think that there is definitely a whole in him and the fixtures are good enough that he was definitely worth backing because basically I'm thinking, well, I've got him in there now until December. They've got such good fixtures basically up until Boxing Day. And I only worry about game week eight, Arsenal and game week 12, Wolves. So it could, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying about the overperforming terms of the data, but I really think that this could be like the perfect storm for their assets because the fixtures on paper are very, very good. It's just whether, as you say, clubs learn are able to counter them. Nick, what do you reckon um, in this uh, price bracket? When I saw um, John McGinn's price, actually, I had to 
had had to do like a little bit of a double take actually because I was like, was he actually only five point five million? That that was a bit of a surprise. So I think certainly around that price point, he he looks like a really really good pick. But ultimately, if you have the money, I'd still pick Grealish over McGinn. If you don't have the money, then McGinn potentially could do a bit of a a Riker type role for you. I think with with Grealish, he is the the man still to own at Aston Villa, even though he didn't return in the last game. Um, he was their talisman, as you said, with eight goals, seven assists last season. I think I think he probably can achieve double figures for goals and assists over the course of this campaign, especially considering the form that Aston Villa are looking in at the moment. And, you know, based on that Liverpool performance as well, which was basically a masterclass, he came out with two goals and three assists. I know some of the goals were a bit lucky with deflections and stuff like that, but still it was, it was just a fantastic performance. And we saw that in the, in the game that he was allowed to play for England as well. Uh, but yeah, his stats last season were pretty impressive as well. In terms of chances created, he was second only to Kevin De Bruyne with 90 um, so it's a chance every 36 minutes so last season unfortunately he was having to uh, set up the likes of Wesley and Samata and you know a lot of those chances weren't going anywhere were they? No, but now at least he's got like the likes of Ollie Watkins or the likes of Ross Barkley um, that he can pass to and you know I reckon his assist tally certainly is going to go up from from seven from last season so I think Greedish is sort of my pick of the bunch oh yeah just quickly i mean you mentioned barkley as well as watkins and he was basically playing next to them wasn't he 5.9 million barkley i looked at the data from 2015-16 when he was good 158 points for everton and back then scored eight goals fourth most shots of any, of any midfielder not good ones but he had loads of shots anyway and i guess he could be a decent foil to our jack but i mean nick you spoke about biases last week and the barkley bandwagon is something that we yearly comes on and yearly we kind of uh, snigger at and um, i'm not quite sure if i can get over the, my aversion to barkley always being uh, a false dawn um so I, i'm agree yeah that. meaning it in the least harsh way like i do think barkley might be the midfield mitrovic and with that in mind, you know, it's like, sure, there are promising underlying stats there, but I, I'd need to see an awful lot more before I really believed in him, if that makes sense. Like, I think McGinn for that are 0.4 less right now, creating the chances, still getting the shots on, albeit, of course, nowhere near Barkley's numbers. He just feels like a much better option there. And maybe for people who are looking at Grealish, who is, I would obviously agree with you all, is the best pick of this Villa bunch. Having McGinn as a second uh, midfielder there from Villa like just don't look at it as doubling up on Villa and instead look at it as getting the best player at that 7-ish midfield price range and that 5.5-ish midfield price range and you could quite easily have McGinn and Grealish in your side and it wouldn't be silly to do that I don't think yeah, I know. We, we've tried to put our biases um, to the door by just even having Aston Villa players in our team in the first place and, and picking the likes of Calvert-Lewin, who we've previously um, talked about being poor, just you know going on series of blanks and stuff like that. So certainly trying to put our biases to the door, even talking about West Ham assets as well. What is this pod? What's, what's happened this season? Who knows? But yeah, I guess there's, there's some other picks out there, aren't there? Um Harvey Barnes is another one perhaps to talk about. Uh, Leicester's fixtures are stiffening a little bit, but still at 7.1 million. He's um, he's third uh, for goal attempts amongst all the midfielders with 15, only behind uh, Mo Salah and uh, Sadio Mane. And 13 of those have been inside the box. Another West Ham asset as well, Jared Bowen, perhaps one to keep an eye on as well. He's um, also statting pretty well, um, only 6.3 million and, and starting to adapt pretty well to the Premier League. He was uh, particularly good for in championship for Hull as well wasn't he I think he got sort of 20 plus goals so certainly one to keep an eye on yeah certainly I guess to continue our road downwards um I think one guy to pull out here is the poor man's hazards the Pritchard bow Leo Trossard 
Um, I say this again because a bit like Grealish, he creates as well as takes shots. He's created 10 chances, the second in this category, just behind Grealish, and takes a lot of shots, 13 shots so far, but only four on target. Uh, That's maybe where we know that the eye test supersedes the stats a bit because we know at least five of those shots off target hit the woodwork. He's going to be, he's one of those going to be on goals imminent forever. Uh, Looks like he will be able to kind of provide a lot. or could provide a lot, I suppose. It's just a case whether he's going to be all fart no poo this season. I'm not sure yet. Um, but 6.0, that's that's a worthy risk to take. Um, and the other one as well, actually, Nick, you mentioned you didn't mention in your kind of a 7.0 area, Zaha. Um, Palace last game, as we saw, one shot on target. That shot, a penalty taken by Zaha. No other shots, full stop. Know, not even one shot on target. No other shots. It's, it's mental. And Palace oh. have actually got good fixtures, right? Um, but it's tough to expect fireworks out of a pen fest. I mean, He's had 11 shots, and that's over a third of Palace's shots so far this season, that like the whole team. He's had nine of their 22 shots in the box. Like, whoa. Talisman, yes, but you know, Moore's needed to convince me on those sorts of guys. I mean, anyone else? Bowden, definitely, and maybe his partner in crime, Mason Greenwood. Uh, both of them are probably need to be talked about a little bit more in this bracket. So Foden, the fact of the matter is that when he plays, he does get the chances uh, against Arsenal, case in point again, kind of the best chance to score of anybody. And he seems like he's playing a much more permanent role in this City side than in previous years. Of course, there has been injuries, which means he's had his chance this season. And that seems like it could continue to happen. So with Foden, I don't think that you know, the fact that he will rotate from time to time, like almost every City player, should be something that puts you off hugely. And he, the fact of the matter is that City are probably the most likely team to score three goals against any side in the league. And you'd think he would get um, a return in that, if not more than that. And suddenly you're into Hall territory quite quickly. Mason Greenwood then definitely just worth talking about. He's obviously flagged again at the moment, didn't play against Newcastle, hasn't returned so far this season. But Project Restart showed us how good he can be when he was sneaking his way into everyone's side. He's now 7.3 million. He could be 7.2 by the time you're looking at getting him again, especially after United have played Chelsea, Arsenal and Everton, I guess. So game week nine, really, maybe the time you're looking at him against West Brom. Just we know he's gonna he could take off and will take off again at some point. Ten goals last season in extremely limited minutes. Oh, all right. Well, it sounds like it's, a bit, it's kind of a clean sweep for Grealish with a few sort of uh, caveats around and a few other players worth keeping an eye on. But as it stands, it, it does sound like we've kind of got a, a bit of a villa reign here, haven't we? Uh, let's move on to the forwards. Uh, under 7 million this time. Andy Penman asks us, who do we turn to in the cheap forward brackets? Antonio, hopefully not out. Adams off the mark. Wilson, more pay. And even that guy, Welbs. Um, who are we looking at here? Uh, I want to start off and talk about Antonio. I want to talk about how he's third for shots, second for shots in the box, and fourth for XG, and top for chance to create amongst forwards in this bracket. Despite West Ham playing three of last year's top six plus Arsenal so far, he's fifth for shots overall and fourth for shots in the box. But crucially, I want to mention that he's third for non-pen XG amongst forwards despite those fixtures. Just Kane and DCL in front of him, and he's on penalties. Um and another thing that's really important about Antonio is there's a huge under-index in terms of expected versus actual goal involvement. He's been expected to be involved in 47% of West Ham's goals so far, but actually only been involved in 18%. So good run coming. And they've also got two teams coming up in City and Liverpool now who are missing key personnel and are liable to the counter. Um, as a spoiler, I have also brought him in. <laughs> so in some in some senses, I am confirming my own bias. And to be honest, I hadn't done this research before buying Antonio in. And it's a very nice example of how sometimes an instinct can come off and 
be backed up by the data. And um, but we saw in Project Restart what can happen when the fixtures do suit him. So after Liverpool and City games, things do improve a lot. But with him there and the underlying numbers that he's produced in a tough start for United for West Ham, um, that really caught my eye. And I'm just hoping that once the opposition strength softens. There's going to be huge potential over the next few weeks. But yeah, no, that third for non-Penet SG amongst forwards, that's that's pretty nice, isn't it? The one I wanted to talk about was uh, Neil Morpay. He's the one who came in on my wild card over Antonio. So I guess I should probably make the case for, for why he's in my team. And actually, when you look at his underlying stats, they're very, very similar to Morpay, uh, to Antonio. There's there's not much in it at all. For instance, Morpay's had one more shot compared to Antonio. Antonio's had one more shot inside the box. Mopay um, said one more shot, one bigger chance taken, but he's also scored two uh, two more goals compared to Antonio. Antonio's had 34 penalty box touches compared to Mopay's 31. So there's very little in it in terms of the stats uh, between the two characters. So yeah, minute, minutes per chance for Mopay is 25 compared to Antonio's 25.5. Very, very similar players. I think um, I really liked Mopay and I really liked Brighton's fixtures, which is why I kind of targeted him, I guess, over Antonio. So that was kind of more the fixtures there element that attracts me towards the Brighton man they've got West Brom at home up next which looks like sort of you know the perfect fixture ultimately West Antonio sort of got these tougher fixtures hasn't he he's got Manchester City and Liverpool up next but could easily start looking at him come game week eight when they go on a really nice run of fixtures starting with Fulham Sheffield United and Aston Villa so um, Antonio could well come in for me at some point he is 0.3 million cheaper than will pay but I think, yeah, you mentioned that he uh, Antonio's third behind Calvert-Lewin and Kane. Well, Mopay just follows, just one behind. So he's he's the one in my team, at least. He's he's the one I targeted, and hopefully he can he can do the business for me. But certainly Antonio looks like an excellent pick in that bracket as well. Yeah, and, and as Tom kind of alluded to it in his discussion about Antonio, the thing is, is that, I guess, with uh, City and Liverpool potentially both, well, Liverpool definitely and City potentially missing their centre-backs, it means that they could be in disarray. There's a good chance there, especially against Liverpool as well with Adrian in goals if Alisson doesn't return in time. I think one other player that's worth talking about in this category is Callum Wilson. He's someone I've discussed on this pod before. Just look, the, the thing is, is that he does stand out in terms of the underlying stats. He's obviously on penalties as well, which means his XG in general is also particularly high and right up there at the top. Uh, just whilst Newcastle aren't exactly inspiring whatsoever, he just does take away and gets pretty much all their chances. And so against any team, you kind of feel that he can return. And at 6.5 million, I feel he's quite good value. Uh, the, we, we've talked so much about Aston Villa as well. And Ollie Watkins is in there and he has quite good fixtures coming up as do the rest of Villa, of course. The thing with Watkins is that he's returned in one game and that game was such an aberration that it's so hard to know what to think of Ollie Watkins still. Is he a championship striker who just had his day or is he a very good striker? His underlying stats are particularly good, uh, which helps. But (laughs) at the same time, I think, (laughs) of course, yes, that does help. But at the same time, if we're talking about getting Grealish in as seriously as we are and even talking about the likes of McGinn, I don't think I could really be forwarding Watkins in this category as the option that everyone needs to be looking at. Uh, There's a bit of a Shea Adams to him and that he is getting the underlying stats, but none of us are all that keen on him at the end of the day. Yeah, I think with him, it's the case of whether he's going to be able to finish the dinners that um, Grealish is laying on because the, the double up is clear. If he is only six million and he's mm-hmm. able to convert the, the volume of chances that Grealish is going to be creating, then great. Six million, fantastic. But at the moment, as you say, the jury's out because he could be a clinical striker or he could be Alexander Mitrovic Mark II. Um, 
by that I mean just a striker who takes loads and loads and loads of shots, um, but will only score you know eight or nine per season in in very unpredictable ways. So, you know, I, I appreciate that. That's good. I, I do like Wilson as you've mentioned. I think we poured him out as being the, the most talismanic of the strikers. Um, Expected goal involvement of 81% of Newcastle's goal, 71% in reality. It's just brilliant to have a focal point of the team like that, isn't it? And you know, 6.5 million plus pens, perfect. Can't really ask for more. Great. Um, final talking point then here, talisman or not. So FPL Elfast, you know, if you're looking at these um, supporting cast members after he kind of uh, after he spoke about it, he asked, you know, where's my money best invested at this sort of level? Is it the talisman sort of? players or is it the likes of Foden who we've mentioned is it the kind of the backup for kind of Greenwood characters what are we going to be doing with our money if you've got a choice between saying I want Foden or I want the talisman what are you going to do I wrote the talisman theories article so I'm going to always say the talisman but I'm more interested to see what you guys reckon here so I think my challenge is with that is like some of these characters like Foden, they won't even necessarily be starting in a full strength city when you've got the likes of De Bruyne back, when you've got the likes of Sterling and Aguero all vying for places. So that, that's my concern that you're going to be play, putting in someone like Foden, but you're going to worry week in, week out whether he's going to play and he might pick up the odd goal, might might pick up the assist, but that that's a bit of a risk there. And it's the same with, with Pulisic and some of the Chelsea guys as well. You've got competition from the likes of Ziyech and Hudson Adoy and Mountain Havertz all sort of looking for, you know, those attacking wingers, sort of the attacking midfielder positions, aren't you? Uh, so I think I'm a bigger fan of the talisman actually at the moment in terms of characters like Grealish, characters like Zaha, at least, you know, like they're going to be heavily involved with their clubs and all the goals that their club score, they're going to be heavily involved and they're going to be playing week in, week out. Uh, so uh, at this moment in time, I'm leaning towards the talisman over the, over the second fiddle guys as well. Like the, there is an element of, you know, pedigree versus fixtures in this for me in that I think getting that second fiddle as we're calling it player in when there's particularly good fixtures coming I think makes sense if you think that City are going to score 20 goals over the next seven fixtures for example then you think that Foden or a Mares type character could be involved in four of those five of those then that that's that's promising. Like I could see why you'd want to get him in, but if you want that constant return, just park a player into your squad. Of course, you have to look to the talisman. And so, there's a mix that has to kind of come into this. That you're not going to just completely have your team scattered all over the place and not be able to reap maximum reward out of an absolute drubbing in a very uneven fixture with City against somebody or Liverpool against somebody. Um, like for example, this week it was good to have the second fiddle. I know it's harsh to call him that, but Son was the second fiddle to Kane. But having the two of them into your squad for a good fixture was, of course, a good idea. Uh, whereas a talisman like Grealish, you can just keep him in your squad, tips away. And so I, I don't think that there's any kind of one formula that you can put to it, Elf. It's, it's, it's a bit more of a step-by-step process. Like Pulisic is kind of like that as well, that he could be he could return hugely, as we've seen before, or he can just kind of go very quiet and wouldn't be the talismanic character that you'd want. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think really in terms of the players that we've picked out here, Grealish, uh, Mope, Wilson, Antonio, these are pen takers, or maybe Grealish, um, for their teams, the main man for their teams. And you know, we've really kind of just looked at the, sort of the key people, especially at the back as well, the likes of Concer and Lamptey. Um, I think that it, it seems like with the supporting cast, it is kind of that kind of mixture of uh, fixtures, 
a semblance of form, a semblance of responsibility for these players. Um, and of course, there's that kind of the, the, a good price point. But it seems like in terms of the cast members at the moment, it's a little bit up in the air. But there are a few that we seem to be sort of uh, uh, homing in on at least. Um, so hopefully that was useful, at least in kind of looking at those sort of cheaper members of your teams and plugging gaps when you're kind of looking to buy those canes or in, in later times, those Kevin De Bruyne's into your team. All right, let's take a break there and move on to the second session. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's uh, time to catch up with the Who Got the Assist mini league. And uh, yeah, I mean, the scores aren't as big as we've seen in the in the previous weeks for the for the top guys. No, nothing major worth shout out, uh, shouting out the guy in sick, which is Sean McColl. Um, he got 84 points and matching you there, Stag. But no one massive that I'm really seeing in terms of the uh, the top 25 or so. So. Bit, bit of a surprise, but I guess a lot of people just consolidating their seasons with uh, further decent scores. So in, in fifth, it was Zaki Shane with the Zakaria team. He got 73 points. He's dropped down a place. Uh, James Dayton's in fourth with Dyslexia Untied with 70 points. Then you've got 0-6 in third with um, a poorer score of 54. In second, it's Arvid Roshan, he's gone up one place with Winnie the Kapue, but he only got 58 points. And in first, it's still uh, Mohamed Mohsen with Hunter. 71 points for him this game week. He captained Son. But uh, yeah, um, no huge scores. Didn't own Harry Kane, had the likes of Ings, Calvert-Lewin and Mitrovic, who missed a penalty up front, but also had Bruno Fernandes for an 11-pointer there. So um you know, um, some decent scores, I guess, but nothing, nothing too massive to talk about there. So, um, shall we move on then? Let's um, let's move on to the correspondence section. So, um, Anthony, do you want to do the honours here? And uh, yeah, absolutely. Us, uh, who's who's written in this week? It's actually Sean McCall who featured in your top ten. So, high flying Sean McCall uh, has emailed in this wow. week to the correspondence section. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Um, the correspondence section, of course, is your chance to add your thoughts to topics raised in previous pods, start a conversation with an in depth opinion, or just to share whatever has been on your mind. Uh, over the international break, of course, we had two weeks to smash the record for numbers of emails received between pods and you guys did that so thanks very much to everyone for getting in touch (laughs) to (laughs) what huge numbers tom to to who got the 100 percent increase yeah they got in touch uh to who got the assist at gmail.com and that's how sean got his email featured here sean mccall of course high flying this season you'll find him at mccallio09 on twitter but that's easier found by just searching captain hindsight which is the name he goes by on there and what he has sent us in is a great addendum to a previous correspondence section uh, discussing explosivity which came from alan desperately seeking dusan now sean high flying of course he's up around the top 10k so Look, it's, it's good to hear his thoughts for this. So he started off, Hi, Tom, Anthony, and Nick. Long-time listener, big, big, big fan of the pod. Something I want to share with you that I've been doing this year. Looking at captain choices and FPL points differently. Too often in the past, I'd take a look at the Twitter polls for captain and through FOMO, I'd usually pick one of the top three candidates and bring them in, or even take a hit to do so. This would lead to a respectable, yet unspectacular overall rank inside the top 200k most seasons. Then... After listening to respected members of the community, such as Neil Murray and Late Riser, I started taking my whole transfer policy differently 
and making my premium captain picks a priority in transfers, combining niche, relatively low premium ownership picks and long-term favorable captionable fixtures over the most popular one-off Twitter game week captain picks. Following on from the early success with my captaincy, my subject to this pod is about explosivity. There is no doubt in my mind that Kevin De Bruyne will, in FPL terms, outscore Sterling over the course of a season. So why on earth, safe with that knowledge, would I choose Sterling over Kevin De Bruyne for my team? The answer is explosivity. In Sean's subjective and statistical opinion, anything over 9.0 in price starts to degrade the value of your team. So if you've no plans to captain that player in your side in the future, then it's not worth having them. So that's what weighs into his thinking when it comes to De Bruyne. He fully anticipates De Bruyne to drip away with assists throughout the year and to beat Sterling with, to- with total points at the end of it. But in a premium asset, that's not what Sean is looking for. He's looking for explosivity. He wants to get Captain Sterling on every one of his braces and hat-tricks that he knows he's going to have this year. And he hopes to get those right with weaker fixtures with pre-booked Captain picks. So his question to the, sh- to the pod on explosivity is this. Should we take higher historic po- points totals of premium assets with a pinch of salt and instead opt for a more important explosive premium assets to captain at the right time? Should we shift from FOMO to AOMO, which is acceptance of missing out? To put it simply, can a 204-point sterling perform better than a 251-point KDB when you factor in explosive captain value? All the best. Sean McCall, Captain Hindsight. Well, thank you, Sean, for the in-depth email. Uh, very, very interesting to uh, uh, get a question that is uh, so laden uh, with detail-orientated uh, features. Uh, so basically what we did to look at this is, uh, well, we're huge indebted to Alan at Desperate Can Do Zan himself uh, for helping look back, look back at the data for this one. And what was done was look back at uh, the uh, the returns of a few individuals. So Kane, Son, Salah, Mane, Sterling, KDB and Aguero the last couple of seasons. Uh, so that takes all the way up to now. And uh, basically what was done was to tally up the returns uh, from certain players. Well, returns is probably one way of looking at it, which is point outcomes. So uh, returns were tallied up as being points scored between six and nine points. Hauls, 10 to 15 points, and explosions, 16 plus uh, for that cast of characters. And yeah, what was really interesting was, I guess this depends on your sort of definition of explosiveness. Is it over 10 or is it over 16? We've called it an explosive haul over 16 here. Um, But if you look at it kind of over 10, so adding together those hauls and that explosiveness, um, I, I basically added them all together and found that Salah and Sterling have had the most hauls over 10 points um, in terms of their captaincy um, over the last couple of years of these captainable options, so 19. Uh, Mane, second, 18. And Son, third, with 15. So those three players are the... No, well, four players, actually, are the players who have, over the last two seasons, rewarded captainers with over 10 points in terms of their returns per season. Basically, there's a few things to bear in mind here from looking at this. It may be one of those things I put on Twitter to nobody reading. Um, but basically, Mo is just a solid captain pick, um, regardless. Um, okay, he doesn't, you know, he he returns. He's returned the most of any captain over the last few seasons. He's also returned um, the joint most explosive or halls above double digits um, of any player. Joint with Sterling. So to get to Sean's question, Sterling has 19 
double digit plus returns 11 hauls eight explosions versus kevin de bruyne only three explosive returns and only uh, 13 times i think it is double digit hauls so raheem sterling is categorically more explosive depending on how you define it it would be at double digits or explosions than kevin de bruyne and yeah that's basically it um I, i think that maybe there is something in the aomo except in the missing out and saying, right, okay, De Bruyne at 11.5, you aren't worth it. Sterling, you are going to be an explosive sort of captaincy pick. If you pair him with a Kane or pair him with a Salah, most pertinently, um, you may just be able to cover up the shortfall of not having De Bruyne on your team if he does get to kind of the ownership levels that we saw him get before his injury. Um, one person I have missed out there is Bruno Fernandes. And Nick, you're waving avidly at me. Have you got something on him? Yeah, so Sean mentioned that he'd um, captained him this season and owned him. And perhaps um, it's worth highlighting that he he was a player that we talked about in the preseason a little bit. But obviously when, when the United fixtures were announced and they didn't have a game week one, we, we all took him out of our teams and, and never really brought him back in. And perhaps he deserves a little bit of a mention, despite supposedly having a bit of a slow start to the season, he's actually got two hauls already this season and a return. So that's three out of the four games he's he's returned. And and if yeah, and in, people forget in last season in, in fourteen games he, he got uh, six hauls and four returns. So he was returning like constantly last season as well. He he um was obviously on penalties for Manchester United and that was a big, big factor for him. But because of um, the role he plays within the team and sort of playing that kind of key role in the midfield as well, whenever he'd get a goal, um, he'd, he'd basically pick up the bonuses as well. And that was a huge factor um, in terms of the returns that Bruno was getting. And he was the creator in chief in that midfield as well, creating, getting all those assists. So he's certainly one that perhaps is a little bit off a lot of our radars at the moment. You know, flying a little bit under the radar. Um, you know, he was very lucky, I guess, to get those returns in the Brighton game, wasn't he? After what was a bit of a terrible performance, but um, he got his comeuppance to a certain extent in the last game with a missed penalty, which um, was unfortunate to miss, and also I think it was an offside goal as well, wasn't there? So um, yeah, in, in that regard, um, I think Bruno Fernandez perhaps uh, is one worth highlighting as well. How often this guy actually is getting these hauls? Yeah. Yeah, the thing, the thing with Bruno, of course, is like that he is still creating a huge amount of chances in that United side. He's getting the shots off. He is, they are winning penalties, no matter what anyone likes to say about that. He is the one who's going to be taking them, and he will convert them by and large, of course. didn't happen against Brighton. And yeah, Project Restart, particularly good, just basically since he signed for the club. With Sean's question, I've kind of taken a more zoomed-out approach to it, and I've looked at predictability of captaining players. So what I've done is I've looked at the performances of the six players, Kane, Son, Salamane, Sterling, De Bruyne and Aguero, that's seven, not six players. And I've looked at how they do against the bottom six teams in terms of goals conceded. So in 1819, that was Fulham, Huddersfield, Bournemouth, Cardiff, Burnley and Southampton. In 1920, that was Norwich, Villa, Bournemouth, Watford, West Ham and Southampton. And what really kind of comes out here in terms of looking at predictability is that Harry Kane and Sergio Aguero stand out as dependable flat track bullies Kane in 1819 when he wasn't even having a particularly good season he got a goal or I've looked at transfer markets so it's any sort of return a goal and assist goal or assist whatever two he got two returns in three of nine fixtures against that worst six and he got one return in eight of nine fixtures against that bottom six last season he only got two returns in one of eight fixtures against that worst six he got 
at least a return in five of the games. Uh, Aguero, it's similarly, it's, it's nine and ten. It's, a, it's, it's two returns in three of ten and not one return in nine of the ten fixtures against the bottom six in 2018-19 and in 2019-20. It's four two returns uh, in eight games and six single returns uh, in eight games against that bottom six. So what you're saying with both of those players is that they're predictably brilliant Salah is kind of predictably uh, reliable but isn't as explosive against them for example last season he got uh, at least one ret- or two returns in four of 12 fixtures against that worst six but he got a return in half of those fixtures so pretty re- pretty reliable Mane kind of similar like that in that he got a he got at least two returns in three of nine and he got one return in seven of nine so that's particularly good in terms of reliability I get that. That's really interesting. And the other kind of thing I neglected to mention, which I uh, wasn't sure about mentioning, but I might do now because you've kind of mentioned the the predictability of returns. Another way of looking at this data is to what extent a player is going to get over 10 points if they start to return for you. Um, obviously, I haven't weighted this by appearances, which I would do. Um, but one name comes to the fore here, and that's Son Hermin. min um, He's got the highest um, proportion of over 10 point returns if he has returned for you 60 percent of the time if he returns um he's going to pull or explode which is pretty cool as you mentioned salah and mane they're kind of in the middle um about, about half the time 46.3 percent for salah and 47.4 percent for mane of the time uh, those guys are going to haul if it looks like they can start to return that's always really it's, it's, a, it's a really fascinating way to look at it and i think maybe this is something that we could develop a little bit more in terms of sort of explosivity index or something like that because well, i appreciate that this is something that we probably need visual aids for um i hope you have kind of got where we've gone to and hopefully sure we've answered this question listeners in general hopefully this that does sort of make sense the explanation we've given um but yeah i think there's definitely something we'll be looking into um, developing and going forward i think yeah absolutely i think it's it's a particularly interesting question i think you know just the way you and i took it from very different perspectives shows that there are very different ways of looking at you know how how to plan your captaincy let's say over multiple weeks and it's something that yeah as you say tom we can definitely develop i think both of us probably have some a picture to post on twitter after this to try and illustrate our data for people a little bit better anyway thanks very much sean for sending in that email who got the assist at gmail.com if you want to feature in the correspondence section in the future uh, with any of your addendums thoughts or may more data perhaps on captaincy for uh, to add to this particular discussion so we look forward to getting that in Oh, excellent. I can open the beer now. I don't have to do any more data stuff. I'm kidding. I'll be fully focused until the very end of the podcast. Right. Uh, let's, let's go on to the Q&A. And yeah, quite a few questions this week. I had my green tea break earlier on and uh, popped the question thread up and uh, got a veritable deluge in the half an hour window we had. So thank you for all of those. Uh, the first question this week is Roots to Kane. Uh, we obviously haven't discussed that too much apart from documenting how well it happened in our squads. Um, but MJ, a friend of the pod, FPL Fanatics, asked how important is it to get Kane? He specifically, for example, is looking at Werner to Kane. Would we do that? Um to what extent do we think that Kane is a drop everything, get this guy in sort of character? As I mentioned on the last pod, I think he is back. And I think that this, obviously it didn't work out how Spurs fans wanted it to. From an FPL perspective, though, it worked out exactly, well, it could have been better, actually. He could have scored that uh, for a goal or Bale could have uh, scored that uh, to make it 4-2. Um, but you know, it worked out exactly as we expected him to um, in terms of being kind of a high scoring player. And yeah, uh, do we think that Kane is the guy who's worth uh, bringing in at all costs? Yeah, in, in short, yeah. Like, 
he's been pretty phenomenal this season in terms of both goals and assists. And the assists, I think, is something we've noted in pods. is something he's really added to his game um, so far this season, but that doesn't seem to be letting up. And then in terms of goals, he's just... He, he truly is back. I think one of the goals um, in particular at the weekend was really kind of emblematic of that old Kane who just kind of just jumps at opportunities and just nails it first time. And that just makes you so much more confident in him that he can kind of continue to be a reliable returner for you no matter what. And Burnley up next as well, particularly good fixture for MJ. Like, look, like there's a good way to get to Kane always for most people, which is just to get Brewster in and just free up funds somewhere else. But in terms of setting Werner for Kane, do you know what? Go on, I think. I probably would just not miss out on having Kane. I know Werner obviously had a good week, but at the same time, Kane, man. I think, yeah, Werner owners, they were they finally rewarded with those long-awaited returns, weren't they, which they rightly celebrated. However, I think Kane matching those returns perhaps put a little bit of a dampener on some of those celebrations. And I think when you look compare Kane and, and Werner, I think one of the big factors in Kane's court is, is the penalties. The fact that Werner doesn't have them at Chelsea is actually a huge um, concern, to be honest, considering that uh, Jorginho's put away three now and he's missed one as well. So, you know, those could have been four goals for Werner and, and we wouldn't even be having this debate. Perhaps he'd be in all of our teams right now if he had taken four penalties. So I think um, that is one big element. It's not an easy straight swap, 9.3 million to 10.6 million, but I definitely would fancy Kane to continue doing the business against Burnley as opposed to Werner who's got the tougher fixture next and United. And also it's worth highlighting the assist element that Kane's added to his game as well, which has been a big factor of... Um, sort of his success this season so to speak he's actually now matched his assist record for a Premier League season he's got seven assists and he's just done that in five games so uh, looks looks really yeah. good for goals and assists this campaign which is why the likes of Tom have been captaining him yeah all round performance I mean is he uh, Nick uh, as a Spurs fan is he is he back do you think is he the kind of character you would be advising people to bring in at all costs then I mean you mentioned obviously you do the Werner but no matter what would you be saying to people yeah take a minus four take a minus eight to bring this guy in I know it's dependable but you know I mean I don't know how aggressive I would be about minus fours and minus eights um, but I, I certainly would say the Son Kane double up I did that on my wild card it almost drove me to wild card actually um, how good they were against Manchester United I thought you know what I've got to get the Spurs guys in so I wild carded I brought Son and Kane in and it paid off immediately so I think if you are missing out on those guys in your teams you should um, you should look to make some changes and, and get them in as ASAP Cool. All right. Um, next, sorry, Kane feels like, um, you know, a very retro sort of thing to be talking about, but it's cool to see that in modern era. Uh, let's move on to another kind of retro classic question, which this week has been asked by FPL Failure. It's Salah versus Mane. Yes, uh, he noted that Mane was uh, through the middle after Firmino went off and he passed the ITS big time. Obviously, got quite unlucky that Henderson's uh, Goal was ruled out for offside. Not going to mention that too much, but yeah, it did get ruled out. Um, so is there any, uh, he asks, uh, consideration for Sadio over Mo? Um, obviously, now we've got a little bit of a price difference between the two of them as well. At the start of the season, we said that you know Mane had been completely done over by the fact that he was the same price as Mo and Mo had should have had the penalty premium. Now there's an 0.4 million difference. Is there a case for Sadio over Mo or is it always going to be Maller? Uh, what do you guys reckon? I got them both on wildcard, didn't I? I uh, decided not to get Son in yeah. and I instead made space to get both of them into my side and said just to uh, not have to deal with that problem, to be perfectly honest with you. I think uh, we've 
we've talked about it. You'll see it on Twitter at nauseum. There's all sorts of theories about, you know, Salato, Mane away. None of it's particularly true. They're just, <laughs> they're both just really good players that haul uh, pretty frequently. And with that in mind, I think it's just easier to have them both in, especially now if they really need to outscore their opponents as opposed to, you know, grind their opponents down and get one or two new wins. Uh, if they're lacking Virgil van Dijk, I think this Liverpool side really does need to uh, be carried from the front. And so I find it just easier to have both of them. Like you can make arguments, sure, that you could, I, you know, that you would prefer Mane over Salah or vice versa. But the, the easiest option is to have both. If I was to pick one, I would always go for Salah just because of that penalty premium, better pedigree. He seems to get in the positions. We've talked about it a million times before that just he is probably that 0.5 better than Mane. Yeah, it's, it, it, I don't see a world at the moment where I'd only own Mane. I mean, Salah is just such an FPL monster. We've spoken about ad nausea. I mean, Nick on the pod uh, last week or before international break points out how he was a player who, um, you know, should just be an essential for everybody in terms of the best performing premiums. And I would, you know, I'd go Mala. I think that's a very good thing uh, that you went on your um, on your wild card to go with Mala and Mane and Salah. Absolutely fine. But I don't think I'd ever go for Mane alone. Um, but yeah, he, he was pretty good um, to the eye in the, in the Merseyside derby, that's for sure. Uh, Nick, I'm assuming it's the same for you. Yeah, as you know, I'm, I'm all about Salah over Mane. I mean, even looking at the, the stats so far, Salah is outperforming Mane in basically every stat. He's sort of plus 10 for key stats compared to Mane, who's, who's only plus one. And I think that might be even be yellow card. So um, it's not <laughs> it's not uh, particularly uh, great, is it? Uh, I think, um, yeah, I, I don't know about owning both. I'm, I'm not too sure about that. I think just they, they're both so expensive. That's the problem as well. Like to own both Salah and, and Mane, that's, that's nearly 25 million of your budget. It's about 24.2 million. So I, I don't think, I don't think necessarily owning both is the best idea personally just because of the cost and I think it's still it's all about Salah as you said it's about the penalties that Salah has but also just in terms of sort of the amount of goal attempts I think even on baseline bonus Salah's got 12.4 average compared to Mane 6.5 which is a bit of a surprise to see so far this season might just be a you know a bit of a discrepancy because it's only been five or so games but um, yeah it's, it's always going to be about Mo and he's he um, constantly outscores uh, Manny every season. Cool. All right. Uh, next question then. Uh, the Villa defensive double up. Uh, so Mark James uh, says he's looking at Martinez and Conser. What do you think about that? Emma Derry Cracker men- also mentions that he's looking at a defensive double up with Villa. So we've been paying them plaudits, I suppose, throughout the course of this podcast. Uh, but defensive double ups. Do we have any hope? Is it because they're the only defence that looks half decent that people are saying that's double up? Is it time yet, basically, to be doing that? I, th- I think there is a case for a defensive double up there. You know, they're, they're so cheap as well anyway. Even if you do decide to get the goalkeeper in and a defender, you don't have to play the defender week in, week out. You've probably got other covering your team in the forms of the likes of, sort of Dallas or Lamptey or Walker-Peters. And if, if they've got a better fixture than Villa that particular week, by all means, bench the Villa defender. So if you are wildcarding or you're looking to make um, a cheap defensive transfer and you're concerned about doubling up I, I don't think it's I don't think it's crazy I don't think it's you know as we talked about earlier they've, they've got the best defensive record in the Premier League this season with, with three clean sheets so by all means fill your boots yeah three clean sheets as you say really good in terms of big chances really good in terms of um, expected goals conceded and expected goals conceded from open play as well really cheap really good fixtures as well like really you can't 
point to much problems up until Stephen's Day slash Boxing Day. So with that in mind, like the, it, the double up does make sense. I didn't go for it in my own wildcard, and I am maybe starting to regret that I didn't consider it more because just in hindsight, it, it does kind of feel like it was a pretty good idea to do it, but didn't really come to mind. Uh, fair enough. It does happen every now and again. Uh, fixtures hitting on the head there, really. They're good enough that you're not going to be flinching playing both of your Villa players. So why the hell not? Right. Next question. Pretty much for me. I'm going to read it and answer it and then we can move on. Uh, DCL Avoidance, FPL Death Star asks, why the hell are there some people still avoiding owning Dominic Harvard-Lewin? And, uh, uh, well, uh, maybe there is a bit you can't answer here, guys. Uh, FPL Groups asks, there's a follow-up, if Richarlison's absence will affect Dominic Harvard-Lewin. Uh, just to answer Death Star's question, basically, I started with Richarlison and all of the stats, all the underlying data basically had them neck and neck. And it was just the case of the outcome. So that first game week, that horror miss against Spurs, if he scores that, I'm looking good. And also um, the last game week, if he scores when he hit the post, uh, again, I'm looking pretty good as it, as it was. It didn't quite work out, but I still stand by the decision. It was a differential um, and it didn't quite work out. Um, maybe it would have been better to do DCL, but I don't see a point at which I'd have side-graded in terms of owning Richardson. I didn't have a, if I didn't have an Everton player, then an Everton striker, then yeah, I probably would have brought DCL in. As it was through having Richardson, it was quite a difficult kind of time because the underlying stats were pretty good for Richardson. Um, and frankly, I'd always back those over making a move just because it, one guy tends to be doing better than everybody else or loads of people own like one player versus everybody else. Yeah, if it's an obvious thing like Salah, maybe I'll do that. Um, but it was kind of one of those things where it was an opportunity that everyone was going for DCL, but if Richarlison did something, and Anthony, you brought Richarlison in, so it was the same for you at that point. Um, everyone owned DCL, so if Richarlison outscored him, then suddenly you had like an opportunity to make gains. So that was kind of my thinking on it. And obviously this Yeah, week... like, you just need to get into the time machine and go back a month. Like After game week one, he'd scored one header leaping like a salmon after a very barren... Uh, project restart which Harrison had been alright in project restart underlying stats looked pretty good had a horror miss but that's for Charleston in a nutshell so you wouldn't be put off by that and look it didn't quite work out for either of us there I thank- thankfully was off the wagon uh, a week before yourself but at the same time it like, look, whatever. Will Richarlison diminish DCL was Goops's question. I think that's probably more to the point. I don't think so to be honest and it's, it's back to that salmon thing that Dominic Covert Salmon has to him that you know honestly like James Rodriguez can just supply him and he can just continue to score goals it wasn't really the first time finishes that uh, Calvert-Lewin has become particularly good at weren't necessarily always being supplied by Richarlison either so with 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 that in mind it's just like I don't think that the the font is going to dry up for him maybe it'll be it'll make the marking job a little bit easier for defenders. But at the same time, just in this sort of form, I wouldn't be too worried about DCL. Yeah, I'd agree with you both there, to be honest. I think, yeah, with Richarlison, we've always highlighted him as a very selfish player, haven't we? So um, DCL will certainly still be getting plenty of chances from the likes of Hamid. You get free assists. Don't don't, don't do him down. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, the likes of Luca Dean whipping in those crosses for DCL, and he's he's proved to be um, exceptional in the air this season as well, hasn't he? But, um, yeah, we wonder, probably be someone like Iwobi who could come in and uh, replace for Charleston, maybe um, we might find that Carol Lewin gets marks a little bit more heavily with Richardson off the pitch because you know, no one's expecting Wobi to score, are they? So, uh, 
be interesting to see what happens there. And he probably won't be able to keep up his output over the course of the season that he's managed so far, unfortunately. But it's certainly been an exceptional start for him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Right. The next question is the next TAA slash Robbo. And uh, Eddie Sum, another email in. Wow. Uh, one uh, to add to the tally. I think the last two questions are both in the tally, aren't they, Anthony? Yeah, I feel like you've been. Yeah, yeah. The correspondence train just cannot be stopped, Tom. Wrong you must be so there. cash poor now, the amount of people you're paying to email in and pretend not to know <laughs> you. Um, but Eddie Sum emails in to ask who will be the next TAA slash Robertson? Are there any indicators in the data or anything that we can see in the Premier League at the moment? Interesting one. Uh, Anthony, what do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, there absolutely is. And to be honest, it's, it's a man I brought in on my wildcard, so you can put all the caveats and things attached to that. But uh, Ben Chilwell, to be honest, I think is looking particularly good. In a, on a per-start basis, his, in terms of the volume of the chances he's created and the quality of those chances, he's looked particularly good. Alongside uh, Rhys James, who obviously is minutes as a question mark, and Reguillon. And then he is also you know, prone to taking the odd shot. He's obviously scored already for Chelsea as well, which kind of just heightens how good he is. I do think that that Chelsea defence can tighten up, which means he will have that supply of clean sheets that uh, those the TA and Robbo were accustomed to as well and, of course, made them such good assets. So when you kind of consider him as a now 57 uh, midfielder instead of defender I don't think you'd have any qualms about playing him in every single game and having him in your side you just kind of have to apply that logic that we used to apply to TAA and to Robinson and you can still obviously of course continue to apply to both those players that they can continue to kind of that he can continue to churn out uh, clean sheet points and as well as attacking returns and I think especially in the context of uh, the Van Dyke injury and Adrian continued being goals for Liverpool he's just as likely it seems to pick up attacking returns as uh, Robertson and TA, maybe just a little bit less. And that's just fine. I think that's brilliant for his price. And so he'd be the one I'd nominate. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly wouldn't be writing off Trent and Robert and saying they've, they're finished yet, but I do think those guys were sort of like massive anomalies in terms of the returns they were getting, attacking returns, all those assists and also all of those clean sheets that meant that we had these brilliant defenders getting 200 plus points. Might be a while until we see someone break that monopoly, but I think Reese James perhaps is one for the future, even if he isn't quite an FPL pick yet due to that rotation factor. Um, and Chelsea also need to sort out their defensive woes a little bit, which hopefully will happen with their new goalkeeper. But um, he's certainly one for the future that's caught my eye as perhaps a new uh, or the next TAA, so to speak. Yeah, you, you would hope for Chelsea as well that between Mendy, Thiago Silva, who didn't play in the last game, he's, he's better than Zuma and Christensen, for example. Rudiger coming in from the cold eventually as well. Maybe he's, he's a, he, to me anyway, he's a much more solid defender than some of the centre-backs they've been playing right now. Aspericueta could play in the middle and then that could give a chance to Reese James as well on the right. I think there is all the ingredients there for Chelsea to have a far better defensive record than they have currently. And so kind of there's, there's a sleeping giant there in terms of clean sheet potential, I think. Yeah, certainly. I think um, Lampard has been under fire for this um, in the pre-Champions League press conference because obviously they, they've highlighted the amount of goals that, he, that have been conceded under him. I think it's one point, uh, more, almost two goals per game that have been conceded under him. Comfortably the worst defensive record of any Chelsea manager under Abramovich. I'm sure He's, Frank took it really well. He loves criticism. Well, he came out and said that um, another way of looking at the data is that, that they conceded the second least shots um, to Man City um, during his reign. Um, and I think there's probably some grain of truth in what you were saying there, Anthony, in terms of the fact that he's only going to improve things. But yeah, um, obviously Kepa, I think it's 40, uh, 
54.5% save percentage I read earlier on. Absolutely abysmal, yeah. So um, you've got to think that uh, Mendy is going to improve things. Um, yeah, Chilwell, we always love. We love uh, an uncontested fullback, especially one that's going to be uh, defensively, offensively, I should say, um, adding something. So, yeah, good call. Cool. And the final question is... Well, it's, it's more of a football question. Dear me, what do we do here? Uh, it's, it's slow starting City. Uh, so Brett Taylor emails in um, and he's, uh, we've got a great question from Brett, which we're going to talk about in a later pod um, for the correspondence session, but correspondence section. Um, but for one of his sort of Q&A questions, he asked, given that PSG and Bayern have already lost three games this season, they lost a combined seven all last season, um, doesn't the lack of preseason wholly explain the slow starts by the Manchester teams? If and when can we expect this effect to soften? Um, so he mentioned that KDB, this strip before the national break, was complaining about playing for two years without a break. Are there any implications for the whole season um, that he uh, that we're expecting to see? Um, uh, so I mean, Kevin De Bruyne has now been pulled off, and I think he's oh, that sounds awful. Kevin De Bruyne has now been signed off, and I think that it it kind of to me I, I think he was signed off for kind of fatigue almost more than anything else I mean the Belgium uh, official account that he couldn't be fit enough and they're citing a muscular issue and um, I'm delving into the realms of um, the realms of speculation but I kind of feel like he I, don't know, I, I think the way he, the way he was playing yeah he was he was trying really hard but he's getting so frustrated wasn't he I, I almost feel like he kind of reached that kind of burnout point that you get when you've just had enough you're still a great player but the I feel like if like he just kind of as 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 he complained about to better to the press that he just played for so much that he needed that little bit of time off. It sounds like Pep's taken up the profiling line for a couple of weeks at least, and they still managed to win this weekend against Arsenal. But it, it's 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 an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, what do you guys reckon? Um, United came pulled one out of their hat, didn't they, to save Oli's job? What's going to happen now? I mean, yeah, we certainly saw United looked absolutely terrible in in game week two. They they were completely out of the pitch. They got so so we certainly saw with United they they're absolutely terrible in, in game week two, which was their first fixture of the season when they played Crystal Palace and just weren't involved in the game at all, were they? They they were dreadful. And uh, Man City, you know, they've started okay-ish, but they also had that you know bad result at. At Leicester as well, and and perhaps there is an element of burnout. You know everything that's happened. You know a lot of the top sides, as, as he highlighted, across Europe are struggling. But in, in in the UK, we've got these teams that are doing particularly well, or the ones that actually aren't involved in European fixtures. So perhaps that's to their benefit. The likes of Everton, the likes of West Ham, the likes of Villa, all they have is uh, to concentrate on the Premier League and don't have to worry about any of the any of these sort of European football matches. And you know they've perhaps got less players as well involved in international football um for the likes of West Ham for instance so that might be a factor as well um you know with United and City players all playing free games over the international break no one really knows what that's all about it's very odd so I think certainly there perhaps is a little bit of burnout uh, with some of the top sides and it might lead to a scenario like we saw with, with Leicester where someone sort of emerges from the parapet and actually you know lays down a real title challenge this year 
Yeah, and I, I think the thing with De Bruyne, speaking about him, he, he does, he is quite vocal about uh, fatigue and overplaying and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think just the fact that De Bruyne is complaining wouldn't necessarily say a huge amount. He's, he's talked before about how come September or October, that's when the fun kind of goes out of things and everything just becomes a grind, a painful grind, week in, week out, just trying to perform. So <laughs> feel for De Bruyne, feel for the footballers. It's, it's not all easy doing what they do. But does the lack of a pre-season wholly explain this no i don't i don't think so i think it's it's a whole entire massive amount of things that kind of comes into it that it's just like yes too many games there is just the fact that teams had so much time off then so much time on again just that's just an immediate kind of sudden load on them which i i think must have been really difficult to deal with and it has led to certain you know greater injuries in some of the leagues the premier league isn't an exception to that but hasn't been the worst hit by any stretch of the imagination and so i I do think that we will see things settle as time goes on like just with city for example and even with psg and Bayern, there have been kind of just odd factors at play in terms of injuries in terms of off-field shenanigans which have meant that they haven't been particularly good we've seen that in spain as well so and then then there is just the whole like there's no crowd and like how does that feed into players like maybe it was a bit of a novelty to get back playing uh, back in project restart whereas now there is kind of this whole like okay are we looking into a whole season like this uh, where you're kind of wondering like i i think that the position of players is just a money-making and an engine for making money has become so clear to the players when there's no fans there and yet they're expected to play, if not more, certainly more frequently. Mm. And that must be quite hard to deal with too. So uh, there's an awful lot of kind of feeds into why maybe the two Manchester clubs have started poorly, but probably will eventually come through because the talent does tend to rise to the top in league football. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's probably going to be, as you've mentioned, because of this sort of fatigue and as you mentioned, I think the, a couple of weeks ago on the pod you said you know you hated the fact that things were kind of quite sloppy because players were more tired I suspect that's going to be a continuing kind of motif of the season that there's going to be that sort of defensive instability um, and I think as well from the first week back from international breaks and things like that we're going to start to see a lot of rotation in, in an FPL context because you've got free fixtures Nick documented during an international break I think you're going to see players just not you know, like I think Ruben Neves earlier on today, we were saying, why hasn't he played? Why hasn't he started? That's a bit of a strange kind of omission from the squad. And I think that was because they said he was quite tired due to his exertions playing for his country. And it's one of those things, isn't it? Where if you've got three fixtures jammed in and uh, the international manager decides to use the same guy three times, you're gonna there's going to be some disruptions, I guess. And uh, okay, you know, okay, Neves is an example of a player who's not going to be FPL relevant, um, but there's still going to be some knock-on effects to how the team plays, especially if it's you know an integral kind of cog player. Um, as mentioned, I think already past the season, I think once we get in flow, so there's a run of Premier League games, we'll see that kind of stability occurred, as as you, Anthony, actually just mentioned. Um, and I think hopefully there's going to be a semblance of stability, but there will this season always be that sort of edge to it where something can change in an instant. And I'm not sure whether that means we should be more cautious, whether we should have you know, 4.5 million goalkeeper and stuff like that all hanging around. I think that probably is overkill to me. Um, but I think we should kind of bear in mind the fact that you know, this season is going to be a little bit different and there's always going to be that sort of element that we've got to keep in context, the fact that the defence is going to be a bit more tired and players in general may be a bit more tired and that may impact on all sorts of things going forward. And, and the COVID caveat applies, of course, over everything like, 
you're going to see players drop out. I mean, tonight obviously wasn't a big kind of headline, but Phil Barsley out of nowhere for Burnley was diagnosed with, with COVID. No doubt round Wayne Rooney's uh, doing a spa. Um, but at the same time, that could happen to any player this season. We know that. We've said that many times during the course of the restart and during the course of the preseason. Um, and it's just one of the things you've got to bear in mind. But I think in terms of the slow start, I'd expect that to level out eventually, as Anthony said. It's just a case of bearing in mind all these caveats and kind of planning accordingly if we're applying that to an FPL context. Yeah, like it, it could be a season, though, where we've been so used to seeing City and Liverpool run away with the title in the last few years and get 90 plus point seasons or even 100 point seasons. I don't think this is going to be one of those seasons. There are far too many factors already in the sides, for example, with the uh, the, the Van Dijk injury is a pretty good example of just why that's just not going to happen this year. Yeah, the yeah. fixtures we've already seen, things are just so much more balanced. Teams are just struggling to keep it together. Like City's formation the other day was the most like impossible to comprehend formation. <laughs> it worked, of course, they won, but at the same time, they just there's so much kind of band-aid jobs being done all the time that there is kind of a more balanced season kind of to come. I don't think we'll be tripled up on two teams like we would have been in previous seasons at times. That's probably not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, maybe an element of caution, I suppose. But yeah, it, it'll be a wild and, wa- and wacky ride regardless of whether you like the football. I think the FPL should at least keep you engaged. Right, let's move on to transfers and captains. What's going to happen? Uh, Anthony, uh, you can go first because I know you love your team and you're not going to be doing anything with it, right? Who are you going to yeah, captain at least? That's it. Yeah, like I, I really don't want to do anything. Like To be honest, the, the real issue for me is do I play Stuart Dallas away to Aston Villa, Suchek at home to City, or Brewster away to Liverpool? I know you might be like, oh, play Dallas, but then I'd be playing five at the back and maybe that's not the thing to do. I don't know. That's really my the biggest thing I'm going to be pondering and maybe COVID or an injury or something will make that a little bit easier to decide in the meanwhile. Um in terms of the captaincy, I'm kind of caught between Salah and Kane. Right now, it's sitting on Kane kind of by default because he was the captain the last day, and it's pretty much the only reason why the armband is on him. But as the week goes on, I shall have to give that further and deeper consideration. Uh, Sheffield United haven't been brilliant by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, do I think that Liverpool are going to put a cricket score up on them? I'm, I'm not certain of that either. Cool. Oh, um... Yeah, uh, so I go and then you can round yeah. off now. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, as you mentioned, as I've as, you, as you've heard throughout the pod, I've really taken my moves. I've taken a minus four, and um, I've removed Rashalison, the suspended Rashalison, and removed Suchek and brought in Antonio, um, who I'm hoping is not going to be injured, and um, uh, Grealish. Um, and I'm probably going to be captaining Salah just because this year I've been following an obvious captain strategy. Salah at home. Sheffield United with injured players and lack of defensive solidity. I think I'm going to go there. The vice is on Son. I think I could be tempted to do that because there could be an element of that. But I think Burnley are going to sit back and it may be quite difficult for Spurs. I don't know. I'm speculating. Um, so, But I think it's going to be Salah captain, Son vice. I don't think it's quite the fixture for Kane to be the captain. But I mean, I could be convinced over the course of this week. I haven't listened to it uh, But yeah, I, I think it's going to be Salah for me. Obvious move, obvious captain. Uh, Nick, what do you reckon? Yeah, so it's the same for me. I'm also going for, for Mo Salah as the captain this week, uh, picking the, the captain obvious, as you said. Seems like the, the main man um, should hopefully do the business, uh, not being tempted by a Spurs player again this week. But uh, yeah, going for Mo, um, mainly because I've got one Liverpool attacker compared to two Spurs attackers, so it's hedging a little bit as well. Um, and yeah, like Anthony, I'm probably going to be rolling my transfer, having wild carded. There, there's no fires 
Spurs to put out in the team. It's all looking uh, pretty decent. So going to roll the transfer this week. So, uh, yeah, thanks, guys, for listening. We were Who Got the Assist. Make sure as well to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. Correspondence to who got the assist at gmail.com if you want to join the unstoppable train that is that section. And as well, please leave a rating for the pod if you enjoyed. Appreciate that. Gets us out there, etc., etc. Mainly code if you want to join the league is CPSULF. See you next week. Cool. We hope this assisted you identify supporting cast members uh, that can help bring you FPL joy. Uh, speak to you next week uh, after yet another fantastic game week in this top turvy FPL season. Goodbye. Who's your favourite movie sidekick? Hmm. I-, I immediately think of Robin. Yeah, but that's uh, just the classic, isn't it? But it is. That, is that I just too cliche? I, 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 Sam, I think maybe Samwise Gamgee would, would probably be, would be winning some winning some you just, awards. You just me. like someone who whispers in the ear and just says the right but words Sam's at the right the real, time. Sam's the real hero of Lord of the Rings. He carries Frodo. Yeah, Sam, Samwise is an absolute... <laughs> oh, jeez, we've got some very strong Sam vibes here. Okay. Dude, these are two D&D players. We know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay. Don't insult like, Samwise Gamgee. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.